We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Hope Church. My name is Chris and today I'm doing an audio recording of Sunday morning's message. Um, We had a few technical issues, so uh, you get a a recording of uh, what we shared on Sunday. And on Sunday, we started a new series in the book of Exodus. Um, And you might wonder, well, why why look at the book of Exodus? Well, the name Moses means to be drawn out, as he was drawn out of water. And and in his life, he was was placed in water in in the basket. He went past through the waters and then was drawn out and... Pharaoh's daughter called Moses, Moses, because she drew him out. And uh, later on in his life, he ends up drawing uh, the people of God out of Egypt, known as the Israelites, and sometimes they're referred to as the Hebrews, out of Egypt and towards the promised land. And so God draws Moses out into a relationship with him. He draws the people of God out of Egypt to pursue a relationship with him and you know what he continues to do the same today Uh, God draws out us us out of brokenness slavery addiction sin shame pain he draws us out of those things into hope freedom life purpose peace and into a relationship with him and so um so it's a great book for us to go through and we've called this book God's Treasured Possession. That comes from Terry Virgo's book. He wrote a book on Moses called God's Treasured Possession, but also it comes from the book of Exodus, from chapter 19, where God declares that about his people, you are my treasured possession. You are a a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. And he gives this name to his people. And we believe that that applies to God's people today. Another reason why it's good to look at the book of Exodus is because the the Israelites, the Hebrews, they live in this tension. They've been rescued and saved out of slavery in, in Egypt. And they end up spending 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, that's what happens in the book of Exodus. So they, they're, they're rescued, they're saved, and but they haven't arrived yet. There's this future destination, this future hope that they're looking forward to in the promised land and they're not there yet. And we find that they take time, they grumble, they find it difficult. There's all sorts of doubts. They lose heart, they lose faith. Sometimes they wish they were back in slavery as they were before because they haven't quite reached this promised land yet. And there is this tension of knowing something of God, but not knowing it in its fullest form. You know, we also live in that tension where Jesus has come. He has rescued. He has saved. Uh, he has come to redeem us. But we haven't quite arrived at the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. We, have, we haven't made it to heaven yet. So we live in this tension and we too can grumble and we can struggle. We can have doubt. We can lose heart. Sometimes we can wish that we weren't Christians, that we were back in our former lives, living as we used to live before we New God, and so we're going to learn things out of the different characters that we find in the Exodus. We're going to learn things out of, of what Moses teaches uh, the people of God, and understand what what does it mean to live in this tension to be God's treasured possession. You know, this book uh, Exodus and this this 
this event, the Exodus, is the most referenced event in the whole of the Bible, especially in the New Testament. It's often referred back to the God of Abraham and Moses, uh, the, the God of Exodus, the one who delivers by his mighty right hand and his outstretched arm. This is a reference story all the way through. And the Passover that uh, we will come to in the book of Exodus obviously ha- transforms right into the New Testament as, as Jesus dies at that Passover festival, as he reinstates and, uh, the Passover meal as the communion meal of the bread and the wine. And he is the sacrificial lamb. And we're going to find all these links towards Jesus and the New Testament. And so uh, looking forward to seeing all of those parallels too. Now, you might not know much about the Exodus or you might know some bits. If you've watched the Disney uh, movie, then you will know probably the first 18 chapters. But there's actually 40 chapters and we're going to try to cover as much of it as we can over these next 12 weeks. Now, before we start today, um, I want to show you a picture. This is um, a Bible that was made for Negro slaves. Slavery is a massive thing in the book of Exodus and the slave trade or the, the slavery that the Israelites experienced lasted for about 400 years because you see what happened was that um, we if you think back in Gen- so Exodus is the second book back in Genesis God calls Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob and Jacob he calls Israel he gives Jacob a new name so rather than being known as the Jacobites they're now called the Israelites and uh, Jacob or Israel have 12 he has 12 children one of them being Joseph and Joseph ends up going down into Egypt this is the last sort of 12 chapters of Genesis goes down into Egypt ends up rescuing all of the Egyptians from this famine but then also the surrounding nations and so Jacob and his brothers and um, their family about 70 in all end up residing in Egypt now we turn the page from Genesis to Exodus and it takes you know seconds but that actually represents a 400 year span and so as we open up the book of Exodus 400 years have passed, Joseph has long gone and the new Pharaoh has forgotten all about him. And now this group of 70 people has now grown to about 2 million. And they're under slavery. Now, the most recent slave trade, that, you know, obviously a significant one that we know about, the African-American slave trade, the West Indian slave trade, the British slave trade, that also lasted about 400 years. And those, the Christian slave traders in the UK and in the West, they wanted these slaves to become Christians, which is why I'm showing you this book. And what they would do is they wanted them to become Christians, but they knew that if they read the whole Bible, then they would realise that the God of the Bible is a deliverer from oppression. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer of the brokenhearted. He wants to bring freedom to captives. And this Exodus story is all about oppression and murder on the basis of ethnicity. And God redeems his people with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. This God is amazing. And so the slave traders who were Christians, who wanted to make the slaves Christians... They couldn't give them the whole Bible because very quickly they would they would see, oh, wow, this God is amazing if they became Christians. And so what they would they did is they created this Bible. And that's why it says parts of the Holy Bible selected for the use of the Negro slaves in the British West India Islands. And what they did is they took out 
all the parts of the Bible which would reveal this God as deliverer, as redeemer, as uh, restorer, as one who frees captives, who calls all men and women equal before God. And so as you can see, as well in the picture, the, the top part is the last bit of Genesis that they have in the Bible. And then as they move into Exodus, they start at Exodus chapter 19. They miss the whole of these first 18 uh, chapters of Exodus. And so this story, it speaks of freedom from injustice. It speaks of the favour of God and how he saves over and over and over again. And so they ended Genesis and started in Exodus 19, but we're going to start in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. And this title today I've called Redemption, because we're going to see patterns of God's redemption taking place over and over again. And the way that we're going to go through this morning then is that we'll read a bit, then I'll just talk a bit about it, read a bit, talk a bit about it. And I'm praying that as we just unlock little bits throughout these first two chapters, that God will speak to you um, about his redemption and, uh, yeah, and that you would grow to love him even more. So let's start. Chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went into Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. So they were Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph, of course, was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And so <clears throat> there you go. Let's just pause for a second. We, we've already talked about the first bit. We know that these 400 years have passed. We know that uh, the, the whole family are now down in Egypt. And you would have noticed that in, chapter, in verse 7 of that, the last little bit, it talks about how they're fruitful multiply, increase in numbers. And that reminds us right back to the start of Genesis, where God calls Adam and Eve and gives them the mandate to go forward, to increase in number, to multiply and to be fruitful. And what we're being told right at the very start is that these people are God's people. This is God's treasured possession that we're talking about. These Israelites, these are the chosen people of God, just like Adam and Eve were chosen by God. These are the chosen people of God. And then they are now fulfilling that mandate that God first gave to Adam and Eve. This is about God's special people. But then the story gets dark. Let's move on. Chapter, uh, ver- chapter 1, verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour. And they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. See, this is the context which God acts. 
This oppression and slavery, much like modern day slavery, is built on four things that I think come out of these few verses. And the first one is forgetfulness. It says the new king Joseph meant nothing to. He had forgotten. Pharaoh didn't know about Joseph. You know, he forgot what the Israelites did for Egypt. They, they delivered them. The, the, the Israelites actually helped Egypt when they were in famine. Joseph, he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and then put a plan into action to make sure that Egypt was well fed and looked after through those seven years of famine. And not just Egypt, but the surrounding nations. But do you know what? Sometimes it serves our interest to forget what others do have done for us. And it serves nations' interests to forget what the other nations around them have done for them. You know, this is one thing that can help to lead to oppression and to slavery. It's forgetfulness. And we need to make sure that we're not people that forget, that we're all equal before God, that we've all sinned and fallen short, that we've all done wrong, but we can all know a loving embrace of our Heavenly Father. It's important not to allow forgetfulness to um, be a key thing that, um, that en- enables us to act in ways that oppress others. So the second thing um, that can lead to slavery and the oppression of others is fear. So verse 9, it says, they, they looked at the people that, that, and said, the Israelites, they've become far too numerous for us. This is what Pharaoh's thinking. Just, they're far too numerous. This drives oppression. If He's probably thinking, if you keep multiplying, then I'm going to have less privilege and my people will have less privilege. You know, when we look at all our newspapers about the migrant crisis, about um, migrants that have come from uh, Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran and places like that, then it can drive fear. Not so much Ukraine, ironically, but it can drive fear. Fear and our newspapers can have titles like um, migrant invasion and things like this. And it's because of fear. And what we think is, well, we can't let these people in because if we do, then we will have less privilege. And people, and we're fearful of that. And that drives newspaper sales and that drives um, our politicians and it drives our people to think, oh, yes, this is a problem. Because if they come, then we'll have less school places and less hospital spaces and all these things. And it's all, all down to fear. And so if we keep the, the wheels of fear moving, look, they'll become far too numerous for us. Well, they might overpower us. And, and if someone else rises up, they might fight against us and then leave our country. And what will happen in all of that? Well, we'll lose less privilege. Yes, they might be better off, but we'll have less privilege. So let's not let fear or our fear of losing privilege drive the way that we act and, and are towards others. A third area is greed. In verse 11, it says this, that they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. So not just houses or barns, but actually these whole cities. And, um, you know, you work for me so that I don't have to pay as much. That is the whole, it's greed. Greed can drive oppression and slavery. You know, it's it's cheap labour. And that's what we can see that today, that um, it's still around. You know, cheap labour is driven by greed. Because if someone, if, if these people can build all these cities for Pharaoh, then he doesn't have to pay as much because they're his slaves. Yes, it's going to cost him materials, but all the labour is done for free. And um, that is, can, can continues to happen today. And it, people can make money 
and keep making money by making sure that the oppressed remain oppressed and they work for cheap labour. Greed can drive slavery. It did then. Uh, It did in the West Indian slave trade and it continues to do today. And then fourthly, ruthlessness. It says in verse 13, they work them ruthlessly. And in verse 14, in all their harsh labour, the Egyptians work them ruthlessly. If we treat them ruthlessly, then we basically dehumanise them. We say, I'm not going to treat you like a human being. I will exercise power to dehumanise you and to keep you at bay. And this is all going on in our human trafficking, in our sex trafficking, in our modern slavery, in our cheap labour industries. Uh, This is the context that God steps in and speaks and says, no, I've had enough. Forgetfulness, fear, Greed, ruthlessness drove Pharaoh to keep these people oppressed. And God says, enough. No, I am the God who delivers. I am the God who acts. And this is the context that God is speaking into. And then, I'm afraid to say, it even gets darker because then we have ethnic selected abortion and sex selective abortion happening in the next few verses. And this is what it says. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, so he goes to them privately, secretly, whose names were Shipra and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. And they didn't do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? Well, the midwives answered Pharaoh. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. See, I mean, it's incredible that the midwives, they see the oppression and they act. They're so brave, you know, and Pharaoh had gone to them privately, asked them to do something. But because they feared God, you can only fear man or fear God. You can't fear both. And they fear God. And so they act justly on God's behalf and they trust God, even though it would have put their life at risk. You know, often throughout the Bible, uh, just before something major is about to happen, just about before God's about to break through, often women are there getting ready to outmaneuver men. We see that here as this is a completely implausible lie. Um, oh, they're too vigorous in their childbirth. They don't, we don't get there in time. Well, they use their tact and their wit to outmaneuver the evil plans in this world. And we know that God is about to move. You know, Rahab, she hides these, um, these spies in her house and outmaneuvers the, 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 the kingdom of her day in Jericho uh, and God uh, blesses her. Tamar, she also outwits Judah and uh, actually that, that turns Judah's heart around and Judah ends up um, being willing to sacrifice himself on, the, on behalf of his brother Benjamin. Esther acts on behalf of the Jews when these are women over and over again outmaneuver the men of their day and God is about to break through before they come and you know what's amazing about this is that God sees their faith and he blesses them that very last verse it says 
And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. You know, what is incredible is that just before, again, God is about to break through into uh, new and amazing things. Women who don't have children have children. If you've been around Hope Church for a while, you'll know that, you know, whenever you come across barrenness in the Bible, hey, be, be, be ready. God's about to break through. And again, you see that with Hannah. Um, you see that with Rachel. You see that with Elizabeth. And, and when she finally becomes pregnant and her you know, baby John jumps in the stomach as she sees um, uh, Mary coming with Jesus, uh, pregnant with Jesus. And so the, this kind of heralding of um, God about to break through and work often comes with childbirth as well, which is just incredible. It's like this new life, new things about to happen. You know, um, so as well as like these kind of Hebrew women being the pronouncements of God's about to break through, the, just going back to the slavery, Harriet Tubman you might know about her. She was an incredible woman in the slave trade who herself was a slave for, for many years. And she ends up escaping. And, and then after escaping, she then goes back to help many others escape. She, we, I think, you know, some counts would put it out 100,000 people uh, she saved. She brought salvation to. And she used to like sing these songs that would help to uh, tell people um, that she was about to break free or that there's free for them to go. And so there's one song that she sings, which says, uh, one of the lines says, um, I'll meet you in the morning, I'm bound for the promised land. And this is kind of Exodus imagery, um, getting ready to go into the promised land, I'm breaking through it's this rescue, salvation, redeeming story that's happening and... and and you know what? It's, it's again, it's another woman heralding the salvation that is to come and hear through song. In a few weeks time, we're, and over this year, sporadically throughout the year, we're going to do these like one-off talks called The Last, The Least and The Lost. And we're going to get different people, specialists in their field to come in and speak to us about... Um, what God is doing in that particular area. So we've got someone from Compassion, Andy Hutchinson, who kind of oversees the whole of the South Coast for the UK Compassion. He's going to come and speak to us about what Compassion are doing to serve the last, the least and the lost across the nations of the world. We've got someone from CAP coming who's going to share how they're serving those who are riddled with debt and uh, uh, and difficulty in Guildford. We're going to have someone who's going to come to us from the prison ministry and share how the Christian work in the prison ministry is bringing hope and peace and purpose to prisoners and that will happen throughout this year and the first one will come up uh, in February and we want to we want to be people who like these midwives fear God love him and so even when we're told by our bosses by our politicians by those people around us who might have influence over us to do things that we know are wrong that we would have faith to act righteously and justly trusting that actually as we do that god will bring his blessing and rescue and salvation to those around us so the midwives they they did lie but god could see their heart and pharaoh who had tried to i guess sin secretly now 
that is replaced with overt sin. Verse 22, so the last verse of chapter one, it says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. So now this is all the people being given the order. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. See, this is a quick side note, but you know, sin always comes to light. And we're called to keep a short account with God on our sin. Because the road to big sins, do you know what? It doesn't come with one big leap. It actually comes through little sins that have been overlooked and not dealt with along the road. Pharaoh didn't go from not killing baby boys to suddenly giving the order to every single person to kill baby boys. No, there was a step in between and that was to try to do it secretly. And he started doing it secretly and then it ends up being well, open and overt and he doesn't even care. Often that's the way that sin can go in our life is that we start doing things in secret and we let them go and we don't keep a short account with God and we just, oh, it doesn't matter. We sweep it under the carpet. And before long, do you know what? The very thing that we said, oh, well, I would never do that. I'd never cheat on my wife. I'd never steal from my boss. I'd never do X, Y, and Z. You know what? That step becomes much smaller and much easier to do once we've been letting these little things go um, unchecked and unnoticed over and over and over and over again. And that's exactly what happens here. And so we need to make sure that we're people that keep a short account with God. Let's not be like Pharaoh. Let's be like the midwives. Let's trust him, fear him, serve him. Okay, so chapter two then. So that was a difficult chap- chapter, dark chapter. And chapter two, we then step in the cable. So what's God going to do? How is he going to redeem the situation? Well, we've seen a, a glimmer of redemption, haven't we? As he's already started to move, he started, he's bringing life. He's, given, he's blessed the, mid- the midwives who, who didn't have children. Now suddenly they've got families. Wow, that's amazing, amazing redemption. What's he going to do next? Well, it says this in chapter two, verse one. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So just like in chapter one, that reminded us of the beginning of Genesis. Now in chapter two, this should remind us of the middle of Genesis where Noah builds an ark and covers it in tar and pitch and that word ark that hebrew word the original hebrew word is used something like 26 times in the whole of the bible 24 of them are in genesis chapter you know in genesis uh, around chapter 7 uh, to talk about noah's ark the other two times are right here to talk about noah's basket it the word is an ark and so Right at the start of chapter two, the the reader is reminding us, hey, remember Noah's Ark? Remember how God chose his people, how he put them in the ark and how death and destruction came to the whole world around them. And they passed through the waters unharmed and then landed safely on the other side. The writer is saying, hey, this is that type of story. This is that type of story where salvation and rescue is going to bring us a salvation story. Get ready. It's coming. God's about to move. And then chapter and then verse four of chapter two, it says this. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. This is Miriam. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw the basket among the reeds, the the ark among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister 
that's Miriam, approached Pharaoh's daughter and said, well, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, well, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. I mean, that is incredible. Isn't this amazing redemption coming through that all the Hebrew uh, Mums were told to kill their baby, to throw them in the Nile. She placed him in the water and he is rescued. And now um, she is now being paid to now bring up her very own child in safe protection of Pharaoh's daughter. So the woman, she took the baby, she nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. So just like we had these women outmaneuvering men with the midwives, we now have got Miriam and the mother and Pharaoh's daughter all at work outmaneuvering this Pharaoh's edict to kill all the boys. It's just amazing how God uses the faith in Moses' mother, the faith that she had to protect him, to place him in the ark, to trust that God will protect and provide for him. And now he blesses that and and rescue and salvation comes. And then Pharaoh's daughter, right at the end there, says, I'm going to call him Moses because I drew him out of water. And Moses embodies his calling, doesn't he? As he was, uh, as he goes on this exodus, as he's placed into this basket, goes through the waters and comes out safely, God will end up using him in exactly that same way. And do you know what? What's incredible is that God chooses to use Moses even though he misses us. God's grace abounds even greater than we can imagine. And because uh, you might have thought, oh, well, you know, okay, Pharaoh messed up, but isn't, isn't, isn't it possible for there to be forgiveness? Well, actually, there is possible to have forgiveness once you've messed up. And we see that right here in Moses' life. So what's going on? See, um, let's, let's read verse 11 to 22 so it's a bit of a chunk one day after Moses had grown up he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his own people looking this way and that and seeing no one he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong well why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew and the man said well who made you ruler and judge over us are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian And Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. Again, he was trying to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and he came to their rescue. He watered their flock. And when the girls returned to Raoul, their father, he asked them, well, why have you returned so early today? And they answered, well, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and he watered the flock. Well, where is he? Raoul asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And so Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. See, what's going on? Well, Moses um, goes on another exodus. He went on one as a baby through the water, came out safely. And now he goes on another one here. He flees east from Pharaoh to the desert. 
In the desert, he rescues and saves a woman at, women at the well. He gives them water to drink. Later, the people will be oppressed and Moses will rescue them and they will also be in a desert. And again, God will provide water and bread. And ironically, he will be their ruler and judge over them. This is a, another pattern of redemption. You know, this exodus, actually, the exodus that will come will, come will be Moses' third exodus. And Moses is completely messed up. He could have written himself off. And yet, God sees his heart. He was probably hoping that when he killed the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew, that the Hebrews would see that he's there to come and to rescue and save them. But they didn't see that. It's so important, isn't it, that when we do things, we do things in God's calling and his time and when he sends us. And so he goes into this second exodus. And do you know what? It's often through the difficulties and the hardship of our lives that God uses those things for good, that he shapes us and he fashions us so that we can then go and help others. Harriet Tubman was her slave herself who had escaped. And it's through that very difficulty that she was able to then go back in and to help other slaves escape. God redeems people even through the very challenges that they go through. He brings those things to good in their lives so that they can go back in and rescue and save. Moses had gone through this exodus out of Egypt, fleeing east into the desert. God and, and you know, seeing God at work being rescued and saved through that, being blessed with marriage and then with children. So we've got more childbirth, God's blessing coming through. And now God is going to use all that difficulty and that challenge that Moses has been through to give him purpose again, to send him back in, to give him plans and a future and a hope. And I wonder what things have you done that you feel, oh, well, God can't use me now. I'm too messed up. This is What things are you going through even right now? You think, oh, what on earth is going on, God? I just believe that God wants to remind us today that he is able to use these very things to fashion in us good that will help us to then bring rescue and salvation uh, to people in those similar situations in the future. It might be that you've come through difficulty and hardship and challenge. Well, how might God use you to help others in those same uh, issues now and areas now? It's amazing redemption, all these redeeming things coming through. Moses is redeemed. The mother's faith is redeemed as she places Moses in the basket. The midwives are redeemed as they, as they, they don't bow down to Pharaoh, but instead fear God and trust in him. And we see these patterns of redemption coming through. But where does the real hope come from? Well, it comes from these last few verses in chapter two. And it says this, that during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. See, this is why they didn't want this in the Bible. Their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And then look at these wonderful verses. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God hears, God remembers, God sees God knows, God is concerned with me and with you. He was concerned with these 
Israelites, he's concerned with the Hebrews, he's concerned with the people of God because they are his treasure possession. There is great hope to be found in the God of the Bible who sees the plight of his people and he cares and he moves and he acts and he delivers with his right hand and his outstretched hand. And you know what? That hope can all be found in Jesus. You see, like Moses, Jesus was also born when a king wants to kill baby boys. Mariam, Miriam, we would say, but Mariam is how you'd pronounce it, watches over Moses and Mary over Jesus. It's the same root word, same word. Jesus grows up around the oppression of his people. He also goes into the wilderness, into the desert. He also meets a woman at a well. He also provides living water. Jesus is the spotless lamb. We're going to find out about that later. Jesus is the glory that fills the temple. We'll find out about that too. Jesus is the bread from heaven, the manna from heaven given by God. Jesus is the ark of salvation that we all must rest in to know our rescue. We need to have faith that he is at work and we too will pass through the waters of baptism and arrive safely on the other side. And I pray that every single one of us hearing this message would also be able to say, along with Harriet Tubman, I will meet you in the morning for I am bound for the promised land. See, in Jesus, there is a deeper redemption to receive from an even deeper slavery to sin. He is the God of the Exodus and he draws us out of sin of shame, of addiction, of slavery, of depression, of anxiety, of brokenness. He draws us out of the hardship of our lives. He draws us out of our sin and our muck and our mire. And he draws us into relationship, love, hope, freedom, peace, a future and a purpose. He's saved by his mighty right hand and his outstretched arm. And in him we can find hope. This God who hears who remembers his covenant, his promises never to leave us or forsake us, who looks on us and is concerned, who acts and who loves. It's a mighty and amazing God. And so I'm just going to pray and I will encourage you uh, to pray with me as we seek him, as we press into the rest of this series. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this message of Exodus that we see in the Bible. I thank you that we can find hope for today in this message. I thank you, Lord God, that you draw us out of our sin and our shame and you draw us into a relationship with you. I pray, help us, each of us, to fall more and more in love with you today. Lord, I thank you that you see all those tiny acts like the midwives. You see the things we do. Help us to have faith, to act justly and righteously uh, with people around us. Help us, Lord God, not to oppress anyone around us family, friends, neighbours, colleagues, employees. Help us, Lord God, to not be like Pharaoh who's, who forgets, who's at fear, who's greedy and treats people ruthlessly. But instead, yes, help us to be like the, mid- the midwives. Help us to be like um, Moses' mother who has faith in you, faith for our salvation and our rescue. Help us, Lord God, um, to remember that even when we mess up, Even when uh, we go through challenging times and difficulties, actually, Lord God, we can come back to you. We can trust you and you redeem and you restore us and you give us a future and a plan and a purpose. Thank you that your grace abounds. Thank you, Lord God, that we can trust you. Thank you, Lord God, that in this we see, even though Moses messed up, Lord God, that actually he can know a future and a hope in you and so can we too. So thank you that you draw us into relationship with you. 
I pray be with each of us today and throughout these weeks ahead. In your heavenly name, Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.